Section 12 of The Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Natural History, Volume 3, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 12. Chapter 29. Cardamomum. Similar to these substances, both in name as well as the shrub which produces it, is the cardamomum, the seeds of which are of an oblong shape. It is gathered in the same manner both in India and Arabia. There are four different kinds of cardamomum, that which is of a very green color, unctuous, with sharp angles, and very difficult to break, is the most highly esteemed of all. The next best is of a reddish-white tint, while that of third-rate quality is shorter and blacker, the worst of all being mottled and friable, and emitting but little smell which, in its genuine state, ought to be very similar to costum. Cardamomum grows also in media. The price of the best is three denarii per pound. Chapter 30. The Country of Frankincense. Next in affinity to cardamomum would have been cinnamomum, and this we should have now proceeded to speak of, were it not more convenient first to make mention of the treasures of Arabia, and the reasons for which that country has received the names of happy and blessed. The chief productions of Arabia are frankincense and myrrh, which last it bears in common with the country of the Troglodytae. There is no country in the world that produces frankincense except Arabia, and, indeed, not the whole of that. Almost in the very centre of that region are the Atramatai, a community of the Sabai, the capital of whose kingdom is Sabota, a place situate on a lofty mountain. At a distance of eight stations from this, is the incense-bearing region, known by the name of Saba. The Greeks say that the word signifies a secret mystery. This district looks towards the northeast, and is rendered inaccessible by rocks on every side, while it is bounded on the right by the sea, from which it is shut out by cliffs of tremendous height. The soil of this territory is said to be of a milky white, a little inclining to red. The forests extend twenty skeni in length, and half that distance in breadth. The length of the skenus, according to the estimate of Eratosthenes, is forty stadia, or, in other words, five miles. Some persons, however, have estimated the Skenus at no more than thirty-two stadia. In this district some lofty hills take their rise, and the trees, 
which spring up spontaneously, run downwards along the declivities to the plains. It is generally agreed that the soil is argillaceous, and that the springs which there take their rise are but few in number, and of a nitrous quality. Adjoining are the Minai, the people of another community, through whose country is the sole transit for the frankincense, along a single narrow road. The Minai were the first people who carried on any traffic in frankincense, which they still do to a greater extent than any other persons, and hence it is that it has received the appellation of Minayan. It is the Sabai alone, and no other people among the Arabians, that behold the incense tree. And, indeed, not all of them, for it is said that there are not more than three thousand families which have a right to claim that privilege by virtue of hereditary succession, and that for this reason those persons are called sacred, and are not allowed, while pruning the trees or gathering the harvest, to receive any pollution, either by intercourse with women or coming in contact with the dead. By these religious observances it is that the price of the commodity is so considerably enhanced. Some persons, however, say that the right of gathering incense in the forests belongs to all these people in common, while others again state that they take their turns year by year. Chapter 31 The Trees That Bear Frankincense Nor is it by any means agreed what is the appearance of the incense tree. We have sent several expeditions against Arabia, and the Roman arms have penetrated into the greater part of that country. Indeed, Gaius Caesar, the son of Augustus, even earned considerable renown there. And yet this tree has been described by no Latin writer, at least that I know of. The descriptions given of it by the Greek writers vary very considerably. Some of them say that it has exactly the leaf of the pear tree, only somewhat smaller, and of a grass-green color. Others, again, say that it has a rather reddish leaf, like that of the mastic, and others that it is a kind of terebinth, and that King Antigonus, to whom a branch of it was brought, was of that opinion. King Juba in the work which he wrote and dedicated to Caius Caesar, the son of Augustus, who was inflamed by the widespread renown of Arabia, states that the tree has a spiral stem, and that the branches bear a considerable resemblance to those of the Pontic maple, while it secretes a sort of juice very similar to that of the almond tree. Such, he says, is the appearance of the tree as seen in Carmania and Egypt, where it was introduced and planted under the auspices of the Ptolemies when reigning there. It is well known that it has a bark not unlike that of the laurel, and, indeed, some persons have asserted that their leaves are similar. 
at all events such was the case with the trees as it grew at sardes for the kings of asia also took considerable care to have it planted there the ambassadors who in my time have come to rome from arabia have made all these matters more uncertain even than they were before a thing at which we may justly be surprised seeing that some sprigs even of the incense tree have been brought among us from which we have some reason to conclude that the parent tree is round and tapering and that it puts forth its shoots from a trunk that is entirely free from knots chapter thirty two various kinds of frankincense in former times when they had fewer opportunities of selling it they used to gather the frankincense only once a year but at the present day as there is a much greater demand for it there is a second crop as well the first and what we may call the natural vintage takes place about the rising of the dog star a period when the heat is most intense on which occasion they cut the tree where the bark appears to be the fullest of juice and extremely thin from being distended to the greatest extent the incision thus made is gradually extended but nothing is removed the consequence of which is that an unctuous foam oozes forth which gradually coagulates and thickens when the nature of the locality requires it this juice is received upon mats of palm leaves though in some places the space around the tree is made hard by being well rammed down for the purpose the frankincense that is gathered after the former method is in the purest state though that which falls on the ground is the heaviest in weight that which adheres to the tree is pared off with an iron instrument which accounts for its being found mingled with pieces of bark the forest is allotted in certain portions and such is the mutual probity of the owners that it is quite safe from all depredation indeed there is no one left to watch the trees after the incisions are made and yet no one is ever known to plunder his neighbor but by hercules at alexandria where the incense is dressed for sale the workshops can never be guarded with sufficient care a seal is even placed upon the workmen's aprons and a mask put upon the head or else a net with very close meshes while the people are stripped naked before they are allowed to leave work so true it is that punishments afford less security among us than is to be found by these arabians amid their woods and forests the incense which has accumulated during the summer is gathered in the autumn it is the purest of all and is of a white color the second gathering takes place in spring incisions being made in the bark for that purpose during the winter this however is of a red color and not to be compared with the other incense the first or superior kind of incense 
is known as Carfiathum, the latter is called Dathiathum. It is thought also that the incense which is gathered from the tree while young is the whitest, though the produce of the old trees has the most powerful smell. Some persons, too, have an impression that the best incense is found in the islands, but Juba asserts that no incense at all is grown there. That incense which has hung suspended in globular drops is known to us as male frankincense, though it is mostly the case that we do not use the term male except in contradistinction to the word female. It has been attributed, however, to religious scruples that the name of the other sex was not employed as a denomination for this substance. Some persons, again, are of opinion that the male frankincense has been so called from its resemblance to the testes of the male. The incense, however, that is the most esteemed of all is that which is mammos, or breast-shaped, and is produced when one drop has stopped short and another, following close upon it, has adhered and united with it. I find it stated that one of these lumps used to make quite a handful at a time when men displayed less eagerness to gather it, and it was allowed more time to accumulate. The Greeks call such lumps as these by the name of Stagonia and Atomos, while the smaller pieces are called Orobia. The fragments which are broken off by shaking the tree are known to us as manna. Even at the present day, however, there are drops found which weigh one-third of a mina, or, in other words, twenty-eight denarii. Alexander the Great, when a boy, was on one occasion loading the altars with frankincense with the greatest prodigality, upon which his tutor Leonides remarked to him that it would be time to worship the gods in such a lavish manner as that when he had conquered the countries that produced the frankincense. After Alexander had conquered Arabia, he dispatched to Leonides a ship freighted with frankincense, and sent him word requesting that he would now worship the gods without stint or limit. The incense, after being collected, is carried on camel's backs to Sabota, at which place a single gate is left open for its admission. To deviate from the high road while conveying it, the laws have made a capital offence. At this place the priests take by measure, and not by weight, a tenth part in honour of their god, whom they call Sabis. Indeed, it is not allowable to dispose of it before this has been done. Out of this tenth the public expenses are defrayed, for the divinity generously entertains all those strangers who have made a certain number of days' journey in coming thither. The incense can only be exported through the country of the Gabanitae, and for this reason it is that a certain tax is paid to their king as well. Thomna, which is their capital, is distant from Gaza 
a city of Judea on the shores of our sea, 4,436 miles, the distance being divided into 65 days' journey by camel. There are certain portions also of the frankincense which are given to the priests and the king's secretaries, and, in addition to these, the keepers of it, as well as the soldiers who guard it, the gatekeepers, and various other employees have their share as well. And then, besides, all along the route there is at one place water to pay for, at another fodder, lodging at the stations, and various taxes and imposts besides, the consequence of which is that the expense for each camel before it arrives at the shores of our sea is six hundred and eighty-eight denarii. After all this, too, there are certain payments still to be made to the farmers of the revenue of our empire. Hence it is that a pound of the best frankincense sells at six denarii, the second quality five, and the third three. Among us it is adulterated with drops of white resin, a substance which bears a strong resemblance to it, but the fraud may be easily detected by the methods which have been already mentioned. It is tested by the following qualities, its whiteness, size, brittleness, and the readiness with which it takes fire when placed on heated coals, in addition to which it should not give to the pressure of the teeth, but from its natural brittleness crumble all to pieces. Chapter 33. Myrrh. According to some authors, myrrh is the produce of a tree that grows in the same forests as the incense tree, though most say that they grow in different places. But the fact is that myrrh grows in many parts of Arabia, as will be seen when we come to speak of the several varieties of it. A sort that is highly esteemed is brought from the islands also, and the Sabai even cross the sea to procure it in the country of the Troglodytae. It is grown also by being transplanted, and when thus cultivated is greatly preferred to that which is grown in the forests. The plant is greatly improved by raking and bearing the roots. Indeed, the cooler the roots are kept, the better it is. Chapter 34. The Trees Which Produce Myrrh The tree grows to the height of five cubits, and has thorns upon it. The trunk is hard and spiral, and thicker than that of the incense tree, and much more so at the root than at the upper part of the tree. Some authors have said that the bark is smooth like that of the arbute, others that it is rough and covered with thorns. It has the leaf of the olive, but more wavy, with sharp points at the edges. Juba says, however, that it resembles the leaf of the alusatrum. Some again say that it resembles the juniper, only that it is rougher and bristling with thorns, and that the leaves are of a rounder shape, though they have exactly the taste of the juniper. 
there have been some writers who have incorrectly asserted that both myrrh and frankincense are the product of the same tree. Chapter 35 The Nature and Various Kinds of Myrrh Incisions are made in the myrrh tree also twice a year, and at the same season as in the incense tree. But in the case of the myrrh tree, they are all made the way up from the root as far as the branches which are able to bear it. The tree spontaneously exudes, before the incision is made, a liquid which bears the name of stacte, and to which there is no myrrh that is superior. Second only in quality to this is the cultivated myrrh. Of the wild or forest kind, the best is that which is gathered in the summer. They give no tithes of myrrh to the god, because it is the produce of other countries as well, but the growers pay the fourth part of it to the king of the Gabanitai. Myrrh is brought up indiscriminately by the common people, and then packed into bags, but our perfumers separate it without any difficulty, the principal tests of its goodness being its unctuousness and its aromatic smell. There are several kinds of myrrh. The first among the wild myrrhs is the troglodytic, and the next are the menion, which includes the atromitic, and that of Ausaritis, in the kingdom of the Gibanatai. A third kind is the Dianitic, and a fourth is the mixed myrrh, or all sorts. A fifth, again, is the Sambracenian, which is brought from a city in the kingdom of the Sabai near the sea, and a sixth is known by the name of Dusaritic. There is a white myrrh, also, which is produced in only one spot and is carried for sale to the city of Messalum. The troglodytic myrrh is tested by its unctuousness and its peculiarly dry appearance. It has also a dirty, rough look with it, but is more acrid than the other kinds. The Sambracinian myrrh has none of these faults, and is more sightly in appearance than any of them, though it is far from being so powerful. In general, however, the proof of its goodness consists in its being separated in little pieces of uneven shape, formed by the concretion of a whitish juice which dries up little by little. When broken, it ought to exhibit white marks like the fingernails, and to be slightly bitter to the taste. That of second quality is of a mottled appearance within while of worse quality is that which is of a black color within. The very worst of all is that which is black on the outside as well. The price of myrrh varies according to the number of purchasers. Stacte is sold at prices which vary from three denarii to forty per pound, while the very highest price of the cultivated myrrh is eleven denarii. Erythraean myrrh, the same it is pretended as Arabian myrrh, is sixteen denarii per pound, troglodytic also is sixteen denarii, and that known as odoraria 
or odoriferous myrrh sells at fourteen myrrh is adulterated with pieces of mastic and other gums it is also drugged with the juice of wild cucumber in order to produce a certain bitterness and with litharge for the purpose of increasing its weight other sophistications may be discovered on tasting it and the gum will adhere to the teeth but the cleverest mode of adulterating it is with indian myrrh a substance which is gathered from a certain prickly shrub which grows there this is the only thing that india produces of worse quality than the corresponding produce of other countries they may however be very easily distinguished that of india being so very much inferior chapter thirty six mastic the transition therefore is very easy to mastic which grows upon another prickly shrub of india and arabia known by the name of lina of mastic as well there are two different kinds for in asia and greece there is also found a herb which puts forth leaves from the root and bears a thistly head resembling an apple and full of seeds upon an incision being made in the upper part of this plant drops distill from it which can hardly be distinguished from the genuine mastic there is again a third sort found in pontus but more like bitumen than anything else the most esteemed however of all these is the white mastic of chios the price of which is twenty denarii per pound while the black mastic sells at twelve it is said that the mastic of chios exudes from the lentisk in the form of a sort of gum like frankincense it is adulterated with resin chapter thirty seven ladanum and stobolon arabia too still boasts of her ladanum many writers have stated that this substance is the fortuitous result of an accidental injury inflicted upon a certain odoriferous plant under the following circumstances the goat they say which is in general an animal that is extremely mischievous to foliage is particularly fond of the shrubs that are odoriferous as if indeed it were really sensible of the value that is set upon them hence it is that as the animal crops the sprouting shoots of the branches which are swollen with a liquid juice of remarkable sweetness these juices drop and become mingled together and are then wiped up by the shaggy hairs of its unlucky beard being there mingled with the dust these juices form knots and tufts and are then dried by the sun and hence the circumstance is accounted for that in the ladanum which is imported by us we find goat's hairs this however we are told occurs nowhere but among the nabatai a people of arabia who border upon syria the more recent writers call this substance by the name of stobolon and state that in the forests of arabia the trees are broken by the goats while browsing 
and that the juices in consequence adhere to their shaggy hair. But the genuine laudanum, they assure us, comes from the island of Cyprus. I make mention of this in order that every kind of odoriferous plant may be taken some notice of, even though, incidentally, and not in the order of their respective localities. They say also that this Cyprian laudanum is collected in the same manner as the other, and that it forms a kind of greasy substance, or isipum, which adheres to the beards and shaggy legs of the goats, but that it is produced from the flowers of the ground ivy, which they have nibbled when in quest of their morning food, a time at which the whole island is covered with dew. After this, they say, when the fogs are dispersed by the sun, the dust adheres to their wet coats, and the laudanum is formed, which is afterwards taken off of them with a comb. There are some authors who give to the plant of Cyprus, from which it is made, the name of Leda, and hence it is that we find it also called Ladanum. They say, also, that a viscous substance settles upon this plant, and that, by the aid of strings wound around it, its leaves are rolled into balls, from which a kind of cake is made. Hence it is that in Cyprus, as well as in Arabia, there are two kinds of laudanum, the one natural and mingled with earth, and the other artificial. The former is friable, while the latter is of a viscous nature. It is stated also that this substance is the produce of a shrub originally found in Carmania, and propagated by plants, by order of the Ptolemies, in the parts beyond Egypt, while other authorities are found which say that it grows on the incense tree, and is gathered, like gum, from incisions made in the bark, after which it is collected in bags of goat-skin. That of the most approved quality sells at the rate of forty asses per pound. Laudanum is adulterated with myrtle-berries, and filth taken from the fleeces of other animals besides the goat. If genuine, it ought to have a wild and acrid smell, in some measure redolent of the desert places where it is produced. It is dry and parched in appearance, but becomes soft the moment it is touched. When ignited, it gives a brilliant flame and emits a powerful but pleasant odor. If mixed with myrtle berries, its spurious quality is immediately discovered by their crackling in the fire. In addition to this, the genuine laudanum has more grits, or stony particles, adhering to it than dust. Chapter 38 Enhymon In Arabia, too, the olive tree distills a sort of tear, with which the Indians make a medicament known by the Greeks as enhymon. It is said to be of wonderful efficacy in contracting and healing wounds and sores. These trees, situate on the coasts there, are covered by the sea at high water, without the berries suffering the slightest injury, 
although it is a well-known fact that the salt collects upon the leaves. All these trees are peculiar to Arabia, but it has some few besides in common with other countries, of which we shall make mention elsewhere, the kinds growing in Arabia being of inferior quality. The people of that country have a wonderful regard for the perfumes of foreign parts, and import them from places at a considerable distance. So soon are men sated with what they have of their own, and so covetous are they of what belongs to others. Chapter 39 The Tree Called Bratus Hence it is that they import from the country of the Elimai the wood of a tree called Bratus, which is similar in appearance to a spreading cypress. Its branches are of a whitish color, and the wood, while burning, emits a pleasant odor. It is highly spoken of by Claudius Caesar in his history for its marvelous properties. He states that the Parthians sprinkle the leaves of it in their drink, that its smell closely resembles that of the cedar, and that the smoke of it is efficacious in counteracting the effects of smoke emitted by other wood. This tree grows in the countries that lie beyond the Pasitigris, in the territory of the city of Sitaka, upon Mount Zagros. Chapter 40 The Tree Called Stobrum the Arabians import from Carmania also the wood of a tree called Stobrum, which they employ in fumigations, by steeping it in palm wine, and then setting fire to it. The odor first ascends to the ceiling, and then descends in volumes to the floor. It is very agreeable, but is apt to cause an oppression of the head, though unattended with pain. It is used for promoting sleep in persons when ill. For these branches of commerce they have opened the city of Carai, which serves as an entrepot, and from which place they were formerly in the habit of proceeding to Gaba at a distance of twenty days' journey, and thence to Palestina in Syria. But at a later period, as Juba informs us, they began to take the road for the purposes of this traffic to Carax and the kingdom of the Parthians. For my own part, it would appear to me that they were in the habit of importing these commodities among the Persians even before they began to convey them to Syria or Egypt. At least Herodotus bears testimony to that effect when he states that the Arabians paid a yearly tribute of one thousand talents in frankincense to the kings of persia from syria they bring back storax which burnt upon the hearth by its powerful smell dispels that loathing of their own perfumes with which these people are affected for in general there are no kinds of wood in use among them except those which are odoriferous Indeed, the Sabai are in the habit of cooking their food with incense wood, while others, again, employ that of the myrrh tree, and, hence, the smoke 
and smells that pervade their cities and villages are no other than the very same which with us proceed from the altars for the purpose of qualifying this powerful smell they burn storax in goatskins and so fumigate their dwellings so true it is that there is no pleasure to be found but what the continual enjoyment of it begets loathing they also burn this substance to drive away the serpents which are extremely numerous in the forests which bear the odoriferous trees chapter forty one why arabia was called happy arabia produces neither cinnamon nor cassia and this is the country styled happy arabia false and ungrateful does she prove herself in the adoption of this surname which she would imply to have been received from the gods above whereas in reality she is indebted for it far more to the gods below it is the luxury which is displayed by man even in the paraphernalia of death that has rendered arabia thus happy and which prompts him to burn with the dead what was originally understood to have been produced for the service of the gods those who are likely to be the best acquainted with the matter assert that this country does not produce in a whole year so large a quantity of perfumes as was burnt by the emperor nero at the funeral obsequies of his wife papaya and then let us only take into account the vast number of funerals that are celebrated throughout the whole world each year and the heaps of odors that are piled up in honor of the bodies of the dead the vast quantities too that are offered to the gods in single grains and yet when men were in the habit of offering up to them the salted cake they did not show themselves any the less propitious nay rather as the facts themselves prove they were even more favorable to us than they are now but it is the sea of arabia that has even a still greater right to be called happy for it is this that furnishes us with pearls at the very lowest computation india the ceres and the arabian peninsula withdraw from our empire one hundred millions of sesterces every year so dearly do we pay for our luxury and our women how large a portion too i should like to know of all these perfumes really comes to the gods of heaven and the deities of the shades below chapter forty two cinnamomum xylocinnamum fabulous antiquity and herodotus more particularly have related that cinnamomum and cassia are found in the nests of certain birds and principally that of the phoenix in the districts where father liber was brought up and that these substances either fall from the inaccessible rocks and trees in which the nests are built in consequence of the weight of the pieces of flesh which the birds carry up 
or else are brought down by the aid of arrows loaded with lead. It is said, also, that cassia grows around certain marshes, but is protected by a frightful kind of bat armed with claws, and by winged serpents as well. All these tales, however, have been evidently invented for the purpose of enhancing the prices of these commodities. Another story, too, bears them company, to the effect that under the rays of the noonday sun the entire peninsula exhales a certain indescribable perfume composed of its numerous odors, that the breezes, as they blow from it, are impregnated with these odors, and, indeed, were the first to announce the vicinity of Arabia to the fleets of Alexander the Great while still far out at sea. All this, however, is false, for cinnamomum or cinnamum, which is the same thing, grows in the country of the Ethiopians, who are united by intermarriages with the troglodytae. These last, after buying it of their neighbors, carry it over vast tracts of sea upon rafts, which are neither steered by rudder, nor drawn or impelled by oars or sails, nor yet are they aided by any of the resources of art, man alone, and his daring boldness, standing in place of all these. In addition to which, they choose the winter season, about the time of the equinox, for their voyage, for then a south-easterly wind is blowing. These winds guide them in a straight course from gulf to gulf, and after they have doubled the promontory of Arabia, the northeast wind carries them to a port of the Gabanitae, known by the name of Ochilia. Hence it is that they steer for this port in preference, and they say that it is almost five years before the merchants are able to effect their return, while many perish on the voyage. In return for their wares, they bring back articles of glass and copper, cloths, buckles, bracelets, and necklaces. Hence it is that this traffic depends more particularly upon the capricious tastes and inclinations of the female sex. The cinnamon shrub is only two cubits in height at the most, the lowest being no more than a palm in height. It is about four fingers in breadth, and hardly has it risen six fingers from the ground before it begins to put forth shoots and suckers. It has then all the appearance of being dry and withered, and while it is green it has no odor at all. The leaf is like that of wild marjoram, and it thrives best in dry localities, being not so prolific in rainy weather. It requires also to be kept constantly clipped. Though it grows on level ground, it thrives best among tangled brakes and brambles, and hence it is extremely difficult to be gathered. It is never gathered unless with the permission of the god, by whom some suppose Jupiter to be meant. The Ethiopians, however, call him Asabinus. 
they offer the entrails of forty-four oxen goats and rams when they implore his permission to do so but after all they are not allowed to work at it before sunrise or after sunset a priest divides the branches with a spear and sets aside one portion of them for the god after which the dealer stores away the rest in lumps there is another account given which states that a division is made between the gatherers and the sun and that it is divided into three portions after which lots are twice drawn and the share which falls to the sun is left there and forthwith ignites spontaneously the thinnest parts in the sticks for about a palm in length are looked upon as producing the finest cinnamon the part that comes next though not quite so long is the next best and so on downwards the worst of all is that which is nearest the roots from the circumstance that in that part there is the least bark the portion that is the most esteemed hence it is that the upper part of the tree is preferred there being the greatest proportion of bark there as for the wood it is held in no esteem at all on account of the acrid taste which it has like that of wild marjoram it is known as xylocinnamum the price of cinnamomum is ten denarii per pound some writers make mention of two kinds of cinnamon the white and the black the white was the one that was formerly preferred but now on the contrary the black is held in the highest estimation and the mottled even is preferred to the white the most certain test however of the goodness of cinnamon is its not being rough and the fact that the pieces when rubbed together do not readily crumble to powder that which is soft is more particularly rejected which is the case also when the outer bark too readily falls off the right of regulating the sale of the cinnamon belongs solely to the king of the gabanitai who opens the market for it by public proclamation the price of it was formerly as much as a thousand denarii per pound which was afterwards increased to half as much again in consequence it is said of the forests having been set on fire by the barbarians from motives of resentment whether this took place through any injustice exercised by those in power or only by accident has not been hitherto exactly ascertained indeed we find it stated by some authors that the south winds that prevail in these parts are sometimes so hot as to set the forests on fire the emperor vespasianus augustus was the first to dedicate in the temples of the capital and the goddess peace chaplets of cinnamon inserted in embossed gold i myself once saw in the temple of the palatium which his wife augusta dedicated to her husband the late emperor augustus a root of cinnamon of great weight placed in a patera of gold from it drops used to distill every year 
which congealed in hard grains. It remained there until the temple was accidentally destroyed by fire. End of section 12